I often like to open with a question before anything else, so let me ask you this. When you were a kid, was there ever a time that you maybe fell and scraped your knee or, or hurt yourself in some way and you got a bandage or maybe a bruise and you like to mess at that bandage and boy, those bruises turn neat things when you poke them. Did you ever have a mom or a dad or somebody say, don't touch it, you'll only make it worse? Yeah. Ever have that? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few minutes. Don't touch it, you'll only make it worse. I have a rather lengthy passage of Scripture this morning that I want to use for my text. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel 17. If you want to turn there in your Bible or on your electronic device, however you like to get the Word of God before your eyes, uh, I certainly don't apologize for God's Word, but I apologize for my lack of ability to trim it and, and not lose context. So I, I'll read quickly this morning. First uh, Samuel 17, 1 through 51, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah and the Ephes Damon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with the shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard his shout, him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from t paying taxes. 
David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, Yes, that is the reward for killing him. When David's oldest son, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told him. I'll, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's a man of war since his youth. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. The animal turns on me. I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Finally, Saul consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul, I'm yet not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. And armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath tumbled and fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and used it to kill him and cut off his head. Would you pray with me for this morning? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to minister your word, God. I thank you for these precious people. I pray, God, that I would say every word that you've given me to say and not one word more this morning, that, God, that it would be as if you're standing before your people, Lord, that your word would go forth and not my opinion, I pray. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I get rolling, I should introduce myself. Uh, my name is Rob Mock. Uh, I hail from Pleasantville Assembly of God with Pastor Brad Price and Steph. Um, pastor asked me this morning to, to greet the church on his behalf, so I'll do that. Uh, but I do want to make it clear that um, they're not coming back. We love them, and they're theirs to keep. <laughs> so I understand they were in ministry here for about 10 years. Um, but we certainly love our pastor. But uh, I am taking classes through Global University, working toward my credentialing with the Assemblies of God. I'm about a year and a half into that. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Misty, and I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world till here about six years ago. 
Uh, my daughter was born, and I have a tie on my hands now. I've got two beautiful girls in my life. Uh, my daughter's name is Eliana, and her name means God has answered me, and there's a, a story behind that that I'll share sometime. Um, I work in uh, IT with computers, uh, vocationally. I'm a systems administrator, but enough about me. Uh, let's get into the Word this morning. I have the privilege at Pleasantville of leading the young adult class on Sunday mornings. We call ourselves the forward group. Uh, and yes, you look at my bald head and, and gray hair and my mustache, and I am uh, seasoned. Seasoned. We needed a seasoned leader for the group, so I was elected. Um, but we've been doing a study of the life of David, and for this study, I've challenged myself to get into my study Bibles, get into my commentaries. Um, instead of picking up a book about David and teaching from it, which I've done that kind of thing before, and I'll do it again, nothing wrong with it. But I, I want to get in and, and pull something out that pertains to us in that group and pertains to our lives today. And uh, I found in doing that that I, I'm trying to find some original thoughts maybe, which is hard to do uh, these days. I, I used to do, just a couple months ago, I used to take care of the church sign there along 56, uh, put the different things up. And uh, every time I'd have an idea, I would get online and I would Google it to see if I had an original thought, you know, because there aren't <laughs> original thoughts hardly anymore. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, with God's help, I had a few original thoughts. Some of them were just other things that stuck in my mind and, uh, you know, I, I then reiterated. But um, I, I've been trying to find things that maybe don't right off the bat whenever you, you read about David and his life that... that uh, aren't immediately evident, but I'm finding more and more during this time of David's life that he did a lot of things that are great examples to us. Uh, this passage of scripture this morning, uh, I, I, there's a few things that stood out to me. Uh, David was offended at how Goliath mocked God and God's people. And I think there, there are times that there in our lives that we've got to draw a line in the sand and tell the devil, you know, just whose kid he's messing with. You know, whenever that Goliath is coming and attacking you, you know, we've got to stand our grounds and say, hey, I'm, I'm a child of the Most High God. And draw that line in the sand and say, hey, I, I belong to God. But I like that David spoke the outcome of the battle in faith before it even began. We lose the battle in our minds and with our mouths sometimes before we even take the first step, don't we? There is power in our words. And we can talk ourselves right out of a victory if we're not careful. And David ran quickly towards Goliath, we read in this passage. And if we draw a parallel between Goliath and the sin or temptation that we battle against, we find that we've got to be quick to, to react at the first hint of sin, hadn't we? We've got to move in right away and see that thing and arrest it and say, nope. I led uh, youth at, at another church for several years, and I always told my kids, you let the devil in the car, it isn't long before he's driving. Right? That's that toehold. Let that toehold, that little bit of sin in. I'm telling you, man, it'll capture you, won't it? James 4, 7 even says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The Greek word there for resist means to set oneself against or to oppose. It gives you a connotation of an action, you know, not just sitting back passively and waiting, but it gives you a connotation that, that resisting the devil isn't a passive thing. David ran to Goliath and he hurled that stone and smacked him in the head, didn't he? He took action. He ran out there. And we must move quickly in our lives against sin and temptation. But David, again, David didn't just leave Goliath stunned. You know, he wrapped him in the head with a rock and, 
And he ran up, and what did he do? He pulled his sword out and cut his head off. And we've got to be careful to cut the head off of the sin in our lives, hadn't we? We've got to be careful that we just don't let those little temptations linger. Not that we won't always be tempted, not that we won't sometimes fail, but to move aggressively against the temptation and sin in our lives. Uh, I heard a minister say one time that, that freedom isn't the period of time between relapses. Boy, that's true, isn't it? If we, if we have freedom, if we're set free from something, uh, we're entirely slayed the Goliaths in our lives, we're free. Praise God. And I think, this is just a, my opinion, but I think a major key to David's victory was the fact that he didn't make this a David versus Goliath battle. He didn't make it an Israel versus the Philistines battle. He declared that the battle was the Lord's. In verse 47, we read, Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And this is the thought that prompted this message this morning. I've said all that to say this, that David left the battle in God's hands, and he didn't touch it. He kept his hands off of it. He didn't make... Israel's problem. He didn't make Goliath his problem. He kept his hands off of it and said, God, this is, this is your battle. So I went forward a few weeks in the class and we moved on to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And if you want to turn there this morning, uh, I promise not to go as long as, as I did in the first passage, but uh, first several verses there, 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now here's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David, David's conscience began bothering him because he cut off Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul left the cave and was on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed before him. And he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, and I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. And as the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. There again he's saying it's not my battle, it's God's battle. Now, if I had any doubt in my mind 
<clears throat> before I read that passage that David was a better man than me, that removed all doubt. <laughs> the three chapters prior to 1 Samuel 24 are by and large an account of how miserable Saul was making David's life. He was chasing him relentlessly, except there was a brief period of time that he had to go and fight the Philistines who were attacking the homeland. But he came back then in force with 3,000 of Israel's finest men just to hunt David down. He commanded the slaughter of an entire village of priests because one of them had helped David out with some food and a weapon. And David was forced to, to hide out in caves and live off the land. But I think this account of David sparing Saul's life illustrates his determination to keep his hands off the situation and let God pilot the ship of his life. David was in the minority, yet he did the right thing. David's men saw the situation as God delivering Saul into David's hands, and they even went so far as to say, hey, this is, this is God making this right for you or helping you out. And I think we've got to be very careful in our lives whenever someone comes to us and tells us that God said. Not that that doesn't happen sometimes, but I think it ought to be a confirmation of what God has ministered to you in your own heart and your own life. Maybe not brand new information. But there will be times that we'll have several voices in our ears telling us uh, that a situation is God's will. That we've got to be able to block out the opinions of others and seek God and His answer, hadn't we? David wrote in Psalm 27, 8, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am willing. Who's to say that some of the adversity we face in our lives isn't allowed by God so that we'll press into Him and we'll hear us maybe when He, we, he has, He'll hear our voice maybe when He hasn't been hearing from us as much as He'd like to. A pastor of mine many years ago told a story um, there was a man that I believe was in his church that uh, developed, I believe, cancer, we'll say, became sick with a terminal illness. And during that time, he, he drew, drew very close to God. He was attending church faithfully. He was, you know, giving God time every day in prayer and in the Word and doing, you know, everything that we think of as drawing close to God. And God had mercy and He healed him. And the man was well for many years. But during that time of wellness, he backslid. He fell away from God again. And his church attendance dropped off. And he wasn't spending time with God. And other things began to, prior, began to take priority in his life. And one thing led to another. And sure enough, the cancer came back. And he was sick again. And he was laying on what would be his deathbed. And my pastor was praying with him. And, you know, he said, he said to God, he said, why, why won't you heal this man? You did it before, God. I know you can. I know you're able. And he said he felt God speaking to his spirit, well, whenever I, I know if I heal him, I'll lose him. And it was during those times of sickness that he would press into God, and everything was right. And I, I think God would much rather us be, be right with him than be comfortable and maybe have a long life. Sometimes the crowd will be right, but many times they'll be wrong. But David was wise enough to determine that just because something seems evident doesn't mean it's the right decision. Next, David understood God's timing. David was 15 years old whenever he was anointed king by Samuel. He was a kid. Yet it was another 15 years when he was roughly the age 30 that he was finally installed and seated as king. 15 years from the time of the declaration to the, the development and the realization of that declaration. 
And it's not always that our desires are contrary to God's desires, is it? It might, just might not be God's time. Before I, I worked where I work now, I worked for another large company. I won't mention the name. Um, you'd definitely know it if I mentioned it. But I was there six years, and I wasn't happy. And I kept crying out to God, God, don't you have something else? Don't you have something else? Won't you move me? And I was careful to say, you know, God, in your time, in your will, but Lord, are you sure? Have you checked lately? Have you checked today, Lord, every Monday? Lord, this week, is it, is it your will this week that I get to leave? But I remember two specific times, and I can't say that God spoke to me audibly, but I just felt in my spirit Him speaking to me. And the one time, it was as if He was saying, I've called you to be a light in a dark place. Now, I'll be the first one to admit I wasn't a Bible thumper or standing up at lunch and, and you know, giving God's word or anything. But evidently, there was something that, some purpose God had there for me to do while I worked at this company. I said, all right, God, I'll keep going. And there was another time I was walking out of the, the office over to the, the lunchroom area uh, for a coffee and a breakfast sandwich. And I was again wrestling and asking God, God, are you sure? Is it time yet? Have you checked this week, God? And he spoke to me, and I, I feel when he said, your time here is limited. And it was so real, I said, God, hang on. I said, I, don't call me out of here until I got something else. You know, I got a roof to, to pay for and a family to feed, you know. But don't misunderstand, God. Don't drop me out of a job. <laughs> but it was so real. And you know what? It was, it was still probably another year or so until I found the other job, a job that God confirmed to me that I was to have. And I, I made that move, and it, it was a very good move for me. But my timing in that thing wasn't God's timing at all because I'd have been out of there a long time ago. I can tell you that. But there was, there was several dead-end roads on that way to that better job. And I, I wonder if, uh, if I had prayed, God, give me now instead of God your will, I, I may have wound up somewhere very different. Wounded up being very unhappy. Uh, and this is, this is the, the book of Rob. Um, but this is just a, an opinion. When in doubt, sit it out. If you don't know for sure, just wait, you know. Uh, Glenda, maybe, said this morning, be still and know that I am God. What a confirmation, you know. When in doubt, just stay still. Psalms 46. But David took advantage of the opportunity to prove to Saul his innocence, to soften his bitterness, and to refute the suspicion that he was lying in wait to murder him. Talk about taking the high road. You know, here's, and this is me maybe, I don't know about you personally, but I don't know if I care so much about my character to resist the temptation to end my suffering and, and misery just to clear my name. <laughs> I'd like to think I thought that much about my character, but uh, we don't like suffering, do we? We don't, we'll do anything we can. We don't like discomfort or even mild discomfort, but actual suffering. Ooh, I don't like that at all. And we're tempted to take matters into our own hands if it means avoiding some kind of unpleasantness. And this is me. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. But, uh, and I, speaking of the, the road sign at the church, I put this on last year sometime. God's more concerned about our character than our comfort. You know, he's, he's, more, he's more concerned about the, the, the finished product than what, how comfortable we are in the process. Pastor Brad is preaching a series on Jonah right now, and you talk about a man who took matters into his own hands. Jonah, not Pastor Brad. But you talk about a man who took matters into his own hands. 
You know, Jonah did, but, but God had a, a higher plan, and he put Jonah through some suffering. Three days of it, some pretty bad suffering, if, if you would ask me, just to, to bring about an attitude adjustment in, in Jonah. But I think looking back at David, if anyone had a right to kill somebody, David had a right to kill Saul, didn't he? I mean, the Bible talks about, I believe, 21 times that, that Saul tried to kill David. And three of those times, he tried to pin him with the wall, to the wall with the spear. Yeah, I would think if there's such a thing as a justifiable homicide, that would be it. <laughs> he put other people up to killing him as well. But not only would David had ended his time on the run by killing Saul in the cave, he likely could have ascended immediately to the throne of Israel. The, the heir apparent, Jonathan, Saul's son, had already acquiesced and said, you know, hey, I know you're going to be the next king. Just, you know, remember me. Let me have a part in your kingdom. So there wasn't really anything keeping him from, from becoming king. But you've heard of a rags-to-riches story. This would have been a, a cave-to-castle story. But let's go back to, to verses 5 to 7 here quickly. I want to read those again. He had cut off a, a piece of, of Saul's robe, but when David's conscience began bothering him, because he had cut Saul's robe, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my lord the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and would not let them kill Saul. What a tender heart. What a teachable spirit that David had. You know, he didn't saw off his head. He cut off a piece of his robe and he still felt guilty about it. But when you continue the, the study, uh, study of David's life, you'll see that David didn't always make excellent choices like this. David didn't always make good choices. David made some pretty horrible choices, in fact. But he always had a, a sensitive conscience and, and a repentant heart. And I think this might be a big reason why he was referred to a few times in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Isn't that powerful? A man after God's own heart. One of my favorite Scriptures that I pray over my life is, is part of a psalm that David wrote. And this was further down the road in his life. Uh, and and I, I, I don't need, you don't need me to tell you about it, but he had, he had slept with Bathsheba, then had her husband... Uriah killed, and Nathan the prophet had come to David and called him out for his sin. Thank God for godly men and women who call us out on our sin sometimes, huh? True, true brothers and sisters who are accountability prophets or are accountability partners. But I learned this scripture in the King James Version years ago, and it's just kind of always stuck in my mind in that, in that translation. Usually when I read and I study, I read the New Living, but... Uh, Psalm 51, 10 to 12, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. To gain God's favor in our lives, it's not like we've got to be perfect, huh? Thank God. His grace is sufficient. It's not always that we've got to make perfect or great decisions. I know I sure don't. But it's more about when the Holy Spirit convicts us of wrongdoing or maybe not doing right as much as we could that we're quick to repent and work to change that situation in our lives. 
I think that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for perfection. He's, I can tell you, he didn't find it in this guy. I promise you that. My final thought I want to share with you, and, and leaving the situation in God's hands, not only did he, he keep his life in pattern and in check with, with God's plan for his life, because, uh, you know, who, who knows God, if God wasn't tempt or testing him, you know, whenever he had the opportunity to kill Saul, that could have been a test, you know. God says, you passed. But not only did he, he advance his own life, he set a good example for those who were around him. Right then there was roughly, I think, uh, 600 men following David. The Bible said people who were maybe not what you would call the best in society kind of fell in with David because David was in trouble with the law and, and these guys were in trouble with the law. So uh, around 600 men were following him at this time. And I don't know that the Bible says so, but I would imagine some of those men went on to hold positions of influence in David's kingdom on down the road, in the military, uh, maybe in other ways. But by doing what was right in honoring the king, he sent, set a precedent, didn't he? He set a precedent for those 600 men to, to see, and he established a culture of honor and respect for God's man. I think that's powerful. And I think this may have set the stage for his role as king because you'll read he had some problems when he was king, didn't he? His son chased him around and everything else. But he established a, a culture and said, look, God established this man as king. He anointed him king. Who am I to, to usurp God and say, I'm going to end his kingship. I'm going to end his role. And I'm going to take over and put things in my own timeline. But people are watching us, aren't they? And we've got to be very careful. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be our boss at work. It could be the pastor of our church. But we've got to be very careful whenever we step in against authority. You've got to be very careful to follow, follow God and God's man. Our kids are watching us. Are we respectful to those in authority? Do we follow the rules? Do we wait on God and His timing, or we, do we try to force our way? How do we handle adversity? The world's watching. My prayer is, God, help me to have the character to do the right thing, even when the wrong thing is the easy thing, the fun thing, the comfortable thing, the popular thing, or even the justifiable thing. Amen? Let's pray. God, this was such a simple word this morning. I can't say that I, I went back to the Greek and the Hebrew and did a deep word study. Lord, I just shared what I felt you placed on my heart to share with this church this morning, God. And I thank you for it. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that this word would find lodging in our hearts, that it would make us excellent for you, God. God, in ways maybe we've come to an altar or a prayer closet and placed things in your hands only to the next day or the next week take it back up again, God. And you know what those things are. Lord, lost loved ones, job situations, who knows, God? Any one of a number of things, God, that we could have brought before you and then picked, up, picked back up again. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to help us make the battle yours, Lord, to keep our hands off of it. Because, God, we'll only mess it up. We want your will, your timing for our lives, God, that we can be excellent for you, that we can minister to this community, Lord God, that people can look up to us, God, and not see something wonderful in us, but see that we're a reflection of your son's face. 
Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity. Now, God, go with us, I pray. Make us bold for you. Make us wise for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. God bless you.